Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello, welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're excited to have John Balsba, president of Trinity Schools. If this is your first time joining us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a program where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on topics at the intersection of education and culture. As always, we at CLT greatly appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to anchored at cltexam.com. Don't forget, the King's College-sponsored CLT is coming up on February 27th. Applicants to King's can get a full fee waiver for the CLT. Registration details can be found on our website, cltexam.com. Now, without further ado, let's get on to the conversation. Welcome back to Anchor, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Today, we have a very exciting guest, Mr. John Balsba, president of Trinity Schools and oversees Trinity's three campuses in South Bend, Indiana, Egan, Minnesota, and Falls Church, Virginia, uh, as well as relationships with two other schools, the Wilberforce School in Princeton, New Jersey, and Trinity Academy in Portland, Oregon, which is my hometown, actually. Uh, Mr. Balsba grew up uh, in Oregon as well and credits his educational formation to his parents. John, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. Appreciate it. John, tell us a bit about your background and how you came into your current role as president of such an impressive family of schools. Well, uh, it it would certainly not have been anticipated in my youth. Um, I I grew up the son of a machinist and a homemaker in in a small rural town in Oregon, like you mentioned, uh, 500 people there. And neither of my parents had a college education. They were early practitioners of what was then a very budding homeschool movement. Um, So they homeschooled me for a bit. Um, Then when they felt like there was nothing more they could do, uh, I went to a local private school. So as late as April of my senior year, despite being a very good student, had excellent test scores, I hadn't even applied to college because I just didn't think I was going to go. I didn't see what school could do for me any more than it already had. And to be honest, I hadn't ever really liked school anyway. So even as late as the summer after my sophomore year in college, I was again seriously considering dropping out. Um, I told my boss at the time, the owner of a machine shop in the Central Valley of California, where my grandparents lived, that I was going to apply for an open position as the manager of the parts department there. And he was kind of a gruff old guy. Uh, I thought he would love to have me on. But he said, John, you would be an excellent parts department manager. I can't think of anyone I would rather have take the job, but I'm not going to do that to you. Go back and get an education. And I'm ultimately glad that he did, because while I have never loved school per se, and still don't, I've always loved education and the opportunity to encounter and pursue the truth, to encounter things that are beautiful and to learn about goodness. And this was something that, despite my distaste for school, I had experienced through quite a bit of my life. I remember one particular incident, maybe the earliest of this, where I was going on a camping trip, and I had always been the sort of kid who would rather be poking a fire with a stick or whittling or out chopping something down. 
Um, but I had picked up this copy of a used book called The Iliad, and it had, it had a battle scene on the front. And I remember sitting down over that camping trip and being so totally absorbed that I read The Iliad cover to cover mm. and then put it away. Um, and similar things throughout my life would occur that awakened something in me. I remember reading uh, Charles Dickens' Great Expectations when I was in high school, and that was the first time I ran across a book that I felt was telling me something about myself as a young man who had, you know, grown up in a small town in the situations I described, but was at a private school where things were quite different. I felt like Pip and his adventure really spoke to me and I could, you know, give example after example of that kind of approach to education. And ultimately it was that that led me away from maybe other courses in my career, specifically to Trinity schools, because that's what we are really all about. Uh, despite the name, we're really far more interested in education and human awakening than we are in school, or school as usual, at least. Uh, the schools were started with that in mind, and we continue with that as our uh, entire mission of education. John, that's beautiful. And I really want to pick your brain a bit more about this, just kind of a super big picture. I know that we share a love for C.S. Lewis uh, and Lewis's vision for education. And I know that you wrote your thesis at the University of St. Thomas on Lewis's novel, Till We Have Faces. How do you think Lewis would view mainstream education right now in 2020? Do you think he'd be surprised or do you think he anticipated kind of where we are now? Oh boy, I don't know if he would. I don't know if he would be surprised, disappointed, or some combination of the above. But I think he definitely anticipated the trajectory of education and where where he addressed this the most uh, the most directly. And I would emphasize, I think, answering that question: what's always been a key point of the book for me, and that is Lewis's vision that it's not enough to train students to think in some mechanical fashion, according to some rationalist ideal, we also have to train their affections. Mm -hmm. And this is something like many things in Lewis, of course, that goes back to Augustine or other great thinkers or, you know, people who've been a part of the tradition. But Lewis was really great in bringing those things to the forefront and applying them to what he saw in front of him. And this is still not a particularly popular thing to say at the moment, but uh, with Lewis, I would agree there is a right way to encounter things and you know, a right way to think and even feel about them, not, not in a superficial emotional way, but in a, in a deep, um, in a deep sense of the affections and how those uh, interact with the human person. So the pursuit of the pursuit of truth is something not just to be undertaken, but to be inspired by. And beauty is not just something to create or talk about, but something to be loved and cherished and protected. Um, goodness is not just a list of things to do on a board uh, that will get you into heaven or keep you from running afoul of your parents. It's, it's a way of life that has to be cherished and cultivated. And I really think if you put great philosophy, literature, poetry, political theory in front of students, they will develop an appetite 
for greatness. Mm. And that appetite can become a habit if it's cultivated. I got to tell you, a couple of years ago, I was reading through the Chronicles of Narnia with my boys. And I, I guess it's maybe the third book, but we get to the part where uh, Eustace and, and Jill are going to school. And Lewis named the school in the Chronicles of Narnia Experiment House. And I was dying laughing. And my, my boys, you know, they were you know six and eight at the time. They didn't understand why I thought that was so funny. But Lewis understood that, that as soon as you get rid of this vision of education, that we're passing along this beautiful tradition from one generation to the next, that, that you're just left with experimentation at that point. And uh, which is, you know, I spent 10 years in the public school arena and that was absolutely my experience. It was like every back to school, there'd be some brand new initiative from the board of ed that nobody had ever tried before that we were just going to roll out to thousands and thousands of students. Yeah, there was, um, I was, I was just talking to my own students about this the other day, how a, you know, what the Iliad has to do with their life today. But the classics, the greatness of the classics is not that they answer some immediate question uh, we are posed with right now, but that they ask ultimate questions in a timeless way. And if you read them over time, you develop an understanding of how then to turn around and apply the timeless human questions to the situation in front of you. Uh, I was I was introducing uh, the humanities to a group of students the other day, and as I was as I was describing, you know, roughly what they were going to see after having read the first two plays in the Oresteia, it it occurred to me, oh my goodness, with with the uh, this this final story, you not only have the establishment of a jury trial and a justice system in Athens undertaken so artfully um, by the playwright, you also have a very challenging question about what the role of this more visceral, violent sense of justice is in a society. And if that is not a timeless question uh, to be asked now, I don't know what is. Um, But we read that again and again every year, and every year it's fresh because the understanding of the human person and the questions it are timeless. So, John, you've been around really from the earliest days uh, to watch this this movement, uh, this movement that people sometimes call the classical renewal movement. And to our listeners, if you have a picture of John in your head, because I know there's no picture picture here, mm-hmm. uh, he's not this old man. You're actually a very young-looking uh, individual, uh, but you've, <laughs> you've spent 20 years uh, as an administrator and as a teacher before now becoming, uh, you know, the head of this, this network of schools, this family of schools, and, and a really big player in the classical renewal movement. I know you're, you're speaking at all the conferences. Um, did you anticipate this kind of growth? Uh, and what do you attribute it to? You know, it's, it's a good question. We, we've been asked that as an institution before. And really, the founders of the school were not uh, initially thinking that they would be involved in something that would help reform or renew education. Initially, they just wanted a better education for their kids and as many other kids as possible uh, that they saw around them. And so they sat down and asked themselves, um, well, what, what should an educated adult in our time know? And how would we go about doing that if we wanted to recreate you know, education as we know it, uh, 
uh, let's ask that question and answer it. And what the answers they came up with, and certainly in dialogue with others who were having the same conversation at the time, uh, the answer they came up with was something that looked pretty timeless because some things uh, just don't change. And in terms of the, the long-term impact of that, I think people are genuinely hungry for something uh, better for their students than a vision of education that sort of buys an industrialized model of the human person, you know, an assembly line model. Um, I think they recognize that. And I, I think a lot of people um, really are eager for something that touches on who their children are at, at their, the deepest core of their being, mm. um, not just as, you know, who they might be for a, a college applicant or who they might be for a job role. Uh, once people understand, you know, classical education, um, and it does take some time uh, to explain, but once they understand it, I think it resonates uh, with the deepest parts of who we are, because that is what it addresses. Uh, the the explosion of the movement through not only private schools, but charter schools. Um, mm -hmm. We've been very happy to be a part of that uh, to the extent that, that we can be. So you received five truly amazing schools, and, and I've actually been to, to two of them. I've been to the Minnesota campus and to the Falls Church campus. And, you know, you, you walk the halls, and it doesn't take long before you're thinking, man, I, I would love for my own kids to go to a, a school <laughs> like this. The art and everything else is, is beautiful, what y'all are doing. Um, but overseeing five schools, do you have time to, to keep up with reading on your own that you would describe as, as just true leisure reading? And if so, what are you reading? <laughs> the uh, funny, I, I told, I tell my wife whenever I get a new job, which has been three times in my career, that honey, it's going to be three years. Just I've got to work so hard, I may not have much of a life. Um, so I, I am just now coming out of the tail end of my first three years as president. Um, so I, I have carved off for myself portions of the week and portions of the day where I don't allow myself to work. Um, where there is there is nothing but room for leisure because I've 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 made sure that that happens, and a part of that is is uh, you know simply fitting with who we are as a school. Um, our our educational vision is centered in the idea that the faculty has to first be a community of learners before it has anything to model for the students, and in order to be a community of learners, each of us has to actively continue to learn and grow. Um, in terms of leisure reading, uh, I, Saturday I, I went to the bookshelf. It was one of the times I had, I had carved off for myself as inviolable. So I simply went to the bookshelf, picked up a book by an author that I've long loved, Frederick Buechner. But I had a copy of Yellow Leaves, which I had not read, and it was just a wonderful experience. You may have answered this already in the beginning. Uh, you, you had, I had this picture of you as a, as a 10 year old boy with your, your little knife whittling and, and reading the Iliad. Uh, <laughs> is that the book for you? If you had to say there was one book that influenced you along your journey more than any other, is it the Iliad or is, or is there something else you point to? Oh boy. I, I would say it has been different books that became stepping stones for me that have held a permanence in my life um, and contributed to it. No one book to which I've returned 
um, the entire time. Uh, but early on, you know, I remember uh, reading Hamlet as a 17 or 18 year old, mm-hmm. and that that became deeply important for me. I, I think it's the sort of book as an 18 year old, um, if you're a certain science, sort of person, you're dealing with everything Hamlet's dealing with. Um, the Lord of the Rings held a long fascination for me and the, the characters in there that inspired greatness and refused to compromise, even though they're, you know, it's a morally complicated book. Um, all the things in the Lord of the Rings, Les Miserables, I was uh, recommended that book by a student who had just finished it. Um, that was another one I sat down and read in a surprisingly short amount of time. Uh, for an 800-page book with 60 pages about the sewer, I devoured that book. Um, it's since been very important. Um, I would say if, if there's anything that I return to with the staying power of something that you could say was was permanent or a book that had the most influence, it would probably be Dante's Divine Comedy uh, mm-hmm. set of books, uh, mostly because it seems to me inexhaustibly full of wisdom and insight uh, for life. Um, the, you know, that I've often said, I wished I had time to learn Italian so I could read Dante in the original. Um, that's been a, that's been a very powerful book and, and the ability to, you know, teach that for 18 years of my professional career was, was a highlight of what I was able to do as a teacher. John, this has been a delight to visit with you. Uh, very grateful to you and the work that you've done for this movement. Uh, I know there are a lot of parents that would echo that, parents uh, of, of children who are benefiting from the education you're offering at the Trinity Schools. So thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with friends and colleagues. Look forward to having you join us next week.